Welcome to the pick, or should I say, the ice pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's such it's such low hanging fruit, it's but I low hanging fruit had to take it. It's right even there, even though even though my last pick was also like heavy on ice puns because it was Batman and Robin, which oh, yeah, I did notice that's it seems to be a trend for me because I also picked Frozen as well. <laughs> A while ago. Dude, I I know we haven't even introduced ourselves yet, but did you hear about the special edition DVD of Basic Instinct that they released? Once that was like see that. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a clear case and it comes with an ice pick. Great. Great job. You're like you're like stabbing it to get the DVD out. (laughs) I miss stuff like that. I I, they probably do still do stuff like that. Like isn't there like a bowling or a big Lebowski that comes in a bowling ball or something? That Stuff like right. that, yeah, yeah. I love Wasn't shit like there that. There a uh, there's a Fast and Furious box set that was just a big wheel. <laughs> yeah, like a tire. I don't know how you don't own that, Sean, but maybe it was. I, I mean, think. my problem with Fast and Furious is they release a new box set of the series every time one comes out. So there's like a yeah. you know, there's like a five movie box set and a six movie box set. You, you know how they would they you know what good workaround with that would be is they just made a bigger box every year and you just put your old box like a Russian nesting doll. So they just have this huge wheel. The weirdest example I have of that sort of idea is I have a um, James Bond Blu-ray collection that came out the year Spectre was coming out, but before Spectre was in theaters. Um, And so they just left like an empty slot at the end of the box set for for, like you to buy Spectre and throw away the case and put it in the box set. That's funny, man. What if it what if it didn't come out? Like, remember how they were going to make that last Divergent, but then they didn't? <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah, you just have that little weird souvenir. Well, I think no matter what, there was always going to be another James Bond movie. It's true. Yeah, a pretty safe bet. bet. Uh, another safe bet is that we often take a while to do these episodes. Sorry. Anyways... I am Colin Westman. I am joined by John Otney and Sean Lemmy. Uh, and this week we are talking about Basic Instinct. Um, I'm curious, John. Do you have a Michael Douglas impression? <laughs> I Michael Douglas. I feel like it's kind of like I gotta be careful not to go into Jack Nicholson. It's that's what I was I was thinking. It's very Jack Nicholson. It's a little Jason. sneaky. It's a little creepy. I'm up to no good. I think for me, it's maybe like a little nasalier, maybe. Oh yeah, Hi, I'm Michael Douglas. <laughs> that's good. She was the fuck of the century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely tapping into something similar, though, which I like. Mm-hmm, definitely. We're, we're on to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up to no good. 
That's that's pretty good. Yeah, yes, that's all right. <laughs> um, anyways, before we get to basic instinct, we gotta do our little picks. Yay! Yeah, hooray for little picks. Uh, my little pick this week is a TV show. I just finished watching. Um, its last season aired last year. I've kind of been catching up with it because I started it in the pandemic, but then I stopped watching it for a while because I started it with my girlfriend and she had to stop watching because she can't deal with cringe comedy, which this show is definitely has some some awkward comedy elements. Uh, it's insecure. The show created and created by and starring Issa Rae. Mm-hmm. Also co-created by Larry Wilmore, which I often forget. I don't know if he had that much involvement in the show other than like getting it off the ground. Larry Wilmore's like a stealth super producer, isn't he? Has he done a bunch of shows? Pretty much, yeah. Creator of the Bernie Mac show. Wow. Served as executive producer on Blackish. I feel like he was a writer on The Office for a little bit. For a yeah, little no. bit? He wrote 50 episodes. Uh, did he? That's what Wikipedia says. But it also says yeah, between yeah. 2005 and 2007, so that can't be right. Yeah, I see. He, he wrote one episode of The Office. Okay, that makes <laughs> way more sense. But he was also maybe, on it, so. Maybe he was just like, he was a producer for 50 episodes. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, he's a super prolific TV guy. But his show did not last that long. Oh, well. There's many shows. Yeah, it's just it's just one of many. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just a, a surprisingly consistent show. It, it stayed good pretty much every, you know, throughout every season. Lasted five seasons, which feels like a lot <laughs> for a show these days to be like consistently engaging for that many seasons because it's so easy to check out but um maybe it helped that i was kind of catching up with it instead of watching it as it aired um but it's it's just a very like insightful show about um just figuring your shit out in your your late 20s early 30s also very much about uh female friendship um Yvonne Orgy's kind of like Issa Rae's best friend in the show also about uh I don't know just finding finding your way in the world and but also certainly has plenty to say about race and relationships and black culture and all that stuff um really well shot show I feel like it's kind of hard to make Los Angeles look uh, good on film, despite the entire uh, movie and TV industry being there. But it, it definitely like paints LA as this vibrant, like alive place, and it, it, it's just an all-around uh, really solid show. Well, I'm sorry. What season? Hmm. Oh, I'm just recommending the whole show. Uh, it just if I were to watch it right now, how much would I have to watch to catch up? 
Well, it it ended last year, so oh it's, god, it's, so it's, I'm uh, out of the loop. So you just be watching a whole show, yeah. <laughs> well, how many? Well, how many seasons was it though? That was five. Five so, seasons, five, and I never even saw an episode. What am I doing? No, there's a lot of shows out there. It's hard. I feel like it was one of those shows that people are always talking about, but didn't seem like it got an, enough recognition or was somehow overshadowed. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um. Yeah, as I said, stayed pretty consistently good throughout its run. Um, uh, just kind of in a low-key way, I guess. All right, so my little pick has a Larry Wilmore connection, nice. sort of, in that it's a book about a show that Larry Larry's brother Mark wrote on, Mark Wilmore, who I just found out passed away this year. Um, of course, Mark Wilmore was a longtime writer on The Simpsons. Uh, he, he died in January of COVID, I just found out. But uh, the book I'm picking is um, a, a gift from Sh- that Sean gave me, actually. I don't remember when you got me this, Sean. It was for a Christmas. It's, it's Springfield Confidential by Mike Reese with Matthew Clickstein, forward by Judd Apatow. I always have to have the book in my hand as I recommend it, even though it's a constant distraction as I'm talking about it. When did, when did this... This must have been 2018 that I think you got me this. But I finally read it. Uh, I finished it a couple weeks ago. And this is a great book. It's just about Mike Reese. Uh, of course, uh, former Simpsons writer, former showrunner, creator of The Critic, along with Al Jean, his longtime writing partner. It's uh, him just talking about what it was like working on The Simpsons, talking about his favorite memories and... The origin of certain jokes and working with certain guest stars and that that's the shit as a simpsons fan i love just like him talking about like oh my favorite guest star to work with was was joe frazier because he had to present the montgomery burns outstanding award the achievement of excellence and he just could not say the whole thing <laughs> they broke it down <laughs> word by word but like he, he kept at it or like how uh mike reese got to like um coach like Ken Griffey Jr. in the recording booth. Everyone else was too intimidated, but Mike Reese like didn't know anything about sports, so he didn't mind going in there <laughs> and uh, helping helping Griffey with with his bit. Yeah, and just talking about his favorite jokes and and all that jazz. But honestly, I think my favorite part was the segment about the critic. Just hearing about the origin of that show because I wasn't expecting that to be in this book, but obviously it's a big part of his writing career. Because uh, it was originally pitched as a, a Krusty the Clown, like, living in New York show. But huh. Matt Groening was like, no, if we're doing a Krusty show, it's going to be live action with Dan Castellaneta going from town to town. And they're like, that doesn't sound good. And they just did not do it. And then they pitched the critic as, like, a live action show with John Lovitz. And he, he wasn't really interested in doing a live action show. And then they made an animated show. And... um it's funny, like, I always wondered, I, I assume the critic was, like, canceled because, oh, it must have got really bad ratings, just no one was watching or whatever. But actually not really. It was doing fine, but the guy who was the head of Fox programming at that time just hated it for some reason. And he was only at that job for four months, and all he did in that time is cancel the critic and then leave. <laughs> and it's sad because Mike Reese is still... Um, pretty bitter about it and he still really loves the critic and people talk to him about it all the time and uh 
yeah, just all sorts of fun little uh, tidbits in here. It's like a lot of tidbits. There's a whole part that's just him like showing off his tweets. <laughs> like, there's definitely some like he he's definitely shows his age a little bit in this book. He's definitely a boomer and has some boomer opinions. He does get in the Apu controversy in a way that is not good. <laughs> like, what's the big deal? I don't, what's the problem? Um, or just like other parts where he talks about other shows he's like South Park they just do the same thing every week <laughs> and I'm like isn't isn't that what you do though on the Simpsons because the thing is um, Mike Reese still works like he came back he still works on the Simpsons so he's definitely on the side of like the show's still good <laughs> yeah so that's the only downside is that he doesn't he doesn't get that the show is, is bad now <laughs> Uh, but that's st- you know it's still like all his his uh, input about you know all his years on The Simpsons all that stuff still good and he's got like brief interviews with like Conan and obviously Judd Apatow um, is pops up here a couple times so no fun read thanks for the gift Sean <laughs> uh, yeah I can't believe I got you a book that was so long it took you three and a half years to read well you got me two books that christmas and i just read both of them this year (laughs) (laughs) the other one was a book about the history of mario and i finished that about a month ago and that was pretty good too uh so i look forward to the next book that you get me so i can recommend it two years later (laughs) on the podcast uh, well, we were talking about The Simpsons. Uh, I'd also like to make my um, my little pick about a Disney property. Um, but mine is a TV show you can find on Disney Plus called Moon Knight. Um, it's, it's a weird one, guys. Uh, I feel like all these Marvel shows are weird, except for Captain America, which everyone was like... This should have been weird. It's too boring how normal it is. Um, so, <clears throat> sorry? The, Sean, the one burning question everyone has. Okay. Is, is did Mephisto show up? Uh, no. But there is a fight between a giant bird skeleton and a giant alligator lady. Not really sure how that's the same, but that sounds good. <laughs> Go on. Uh, <laughs> um, this this take on Moon Knight uh, deals a lot with Egyptian gods, um, specifically the idea that uh, individuals become avatars for Egyptian gods. Um, so we have Oscar Isaac as the Moon Knight, uh, who is the avatar of Khonshu, who is uh, the moon god and is like a scary bird skeleton. And he's voiced by um, F. Murray Abraham for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> got to get him in there at some point, I guess. Um, it's got this uh, additional uh, aspect to it, though, where not only does uh, Oscar Isaac let his body be possessed by uh, a God, he also has this uh, dissociative uh, identity disorder, uh, so he's uh, constantly fighting with himself uh, to see which of his personalities is actually in control at the time. 
Um, and you spend most of the show with Mark and Steven. Uh, Mark is uh, Oscar Isaac's uh, tough American uh, mercenary super soldier type guy. Um, whereas Steven is just a, a soft, gentle British boy. Um, and you can, it's very easy to tell which one's which because he goes for a, uh, a very exaggerated uh, English accent when he's doing the Steven persona, uh, which is great. Uh, anyone who's complaining about that uh, is just not having a good time. Um, also in this is Ethan Hawke. For some reason, uh, he plays a character who used to be Khonshu's avatar, um, and now he's working for Amit, who is the uh, big old crocodile goddess I was telling you about. Um, his thing is he likes to put glass shards in his sandals, so it hurts to walk, I guess. Uh, and also, he has this magical tattoo that has scales on it and he likes to judge people on if they're good or not if their scales are balanced uh, and if they're not he turns them into purple smoke and they die and uh yeah it's it's kind of like an adventure show where they're doing some sort of indiana jones shit you know digging up tombs looking for artifacts um it's kind of a you know mystery because of the first few episodes um steven doesn't really understand what's going on with this mark personality and he doesn't know anything about um the moon knight shenanigans um and then it all kind of comes together really quickly uh because like a lot of these marvel shows it's six episodes which feels like it's enough story for a movie that's been stretched out, but then there are individual episodes that are interesting enough that you kind of wish they just spent more time on that, and so individual plot lines get really rushed. Um, I'll also say the show is created by and, and partly written by Jeremy Slater, um, who is the writer of uh, Fant Four Stick, the... Uh, Josh Trank, uh, <laughs> Fantastic Four movie, uh, as well as uh, the Death Note, uh, Adam Wingard movie, uh, the the American one. Um, so not not the best uh, track record, and and I would say not the best uh, creative uh, source for for this to spring from. Uh, it's it's really a show I think that has um, some interesting ideas and a, a particularly great performance um, from Oscar Isaac, uh, but everything else is just like fine, and so I don't regret having watched it, but uh, unless this concept is particularly interesting to you, I would say you're you're probably pretty safe in skipping it. It doesn't seem to have any connection to anything else in the MCU. Um, and it's just it's just fine. Also, I feel like I I had a particularly hard time enjoying it because uh, Legion already exists and did a multiple personality superhero show in such a creative and exciting way um, that I was not impressed with Moon Knight's much more tame but much more easy to follow approach to this idea. 
Is it better, worse, or as good as the Winter Soldier show? For me, it's worse than the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Is it better than, this isn't uh, Marvel, but is it better than Book of Boba Fett? Or is it as good as Book of Boba Fett? That's a hard call. It's very equivalent to Book of Boba Fett. The thing is, Book of Boba Fett has two episodes of The Mandalorian sandwiched in it that are <laughs> so much better than the rest of the show. Yeah. Um, and I don't, Moon Knight doesn't have that. It just maintains. It's, it's one level of quality. Yeah, I'm still interested just because of the, the caliber of production. Like those, those it, it, you know, being able to tune in to watch a blockbuster movie that's just split up into episodes is, is still pretty appealing, even if it's just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it attracts A-list talent, so that's cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Oscar Isaac is great. I I don't I like. It sounds like he was instrumental in getting Ethan Hawke signed on, and I don't know how he did it because I don't think there's really anything interesting to his role. Uh, it did nothing for me. It's not like um, like Vincent D'Onofrio in Daredevil. It's not that level of you know talented actor playing an interesting villain. It's just um just a boring <laughs> bad guy is i feel like so many of the marvel villains now are there's a tragic character who had a bad thing happen to them and now has one insane idea that they're obsessed with um and it's, it's always that last part that i don't get because it makes them not sympathetic anymore because they're just like i want to do omnicide <laughs> Oh, that's I mean, what it's all about. Who doesn't want to do Omniside? Especially if you're a villain. Dude, I'm looking up this Jeremy Slater guy, like one of his upcoming projects. He's writing um, yeah. a Wile E. Coyote versus Acme movie. <laughs> where Wile E. Coyote hires a lawyer to sue Acme for all of their, uh, you know, their shit malfunctioning. Okay. And okay. so far they've cast, but they don't say as who. Um, act, an actress I don't know named Lana Condor, and then Will Forte and John Cena. <laughs> Do you think Will Forte and John Cena are are humans, or are I wonder if they're like Roadrunner and Coyote? Is this animated or is this like a space? Okay, so call it's a it's it's a live action animated hybrid. <laughs> All right, so it is a Space Jam situation. It's it's a Space Jam. Yeah. Coyote versus Acme. I can see John Cena being live action and Will Forte being the voice of Wiley Coyote. Um, James Gunn also has a screenwriting credit on this movie. Well, that's interesting, uh, because I was reading on Wikipedia that James Gunn was one of the people originally interested in doing a Moon Knight thing mm, in like the late 2000s. Wow. Um, yeah, Jeremy Slater also doing Untitled Mortal Kombat sequel. Ooh. <laughs> Apparently he was the showrunner of that Exorcist show, too. You guys remember that, that Exorcist show that was very briefly on? Nope. No. I heard it was kind of good. But it was on Fox, and they like got rid of that shit right away. This is like 2016. <laughs> huh. um, 79% on on RT. Maybe I'll watch that someday. 
Uh, but no, now he's working on Coyote vs. Acme. More to come on that. Yeah. <laughs> it does I don't think it has even a year that it's coming out yet. Oh god. Uh, it could take forever. Man. Yeah, it was taken off. So it, it had a. It was originally scheduled for 2023, and then it was taken off the release schedule with Barbie taking its release date. Oh. So. Hmm. Pretty a lot of weird movies coming up. <laughs> yeah. But weird in a bad way. We got weird in a good way for today's movie. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, let's talk about Basic Instinct. Um, okay. <laughs> yes. Sean, you said that with like a kind of like a you'll be sorry kind you'll of tone. Be sorry. Like, okay. I could be. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows where this could go? A lot, of, a lot of wild stuff in this movie. I mean, I think what's exciting about doing this podcast is because it's very r-rated people might know only one thing about basic instinct it didn't have the tv play that a lot of other 90s movies did um there's a lot of a lot of secrets for us to reveal to the world yeah i guess i wasn't sure if i wanted to go through the whole plot this time but just because it's been two weeks since I watched this movie. Just <laughs> go through every details. every movie and show that's ever referenced this. Yeah. Oh God! I actually did find um, a page on TV tropes that goes over various media that's referenced it, but I feel like they're missing some. Because this All doesn't right. even include the movie Fatal Instinct. <laughs> Uh, which in itself, the entire movie is a parody. And I feel like there's also uh, a Basic Instinct parody in, what was that Leslie Nielsen spy movie? Spy so, Hard, uh, maybe? Spy Hard? Yeah, I feel like that probably has a reference, even though that's probably a little late to the party at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think just any any 90s spoof-esque movie. You you gotta you gotta spoof Basic Instinct. They had to have done it on the critic, right? Yeah, feels right. I've, this feels like a real critic, the critic movie. <laughs> yeah, didn't? Isn't there a scene in The Simpsons where Willie does it? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So you think yeah. they did it on The Simpsons and the critic? <laughs> it just. When I think of me. when I think of the critic, and I think of movies that they would have, like for me, I think I, I think of the critic. I think of oh, Jurassic Park, Basic Instinct, maybe like Terminator Two. Though I feel like that's like their wheelhouse for like those. That's a sweet spot for movies to spoof on the critic. Just just the big blockbusters of the time. This movie was a huge hit. Why was it such a huge hit, Colin? Uh, I don't know because people wanted to be shocked. It's, it's a salacious movie. Now I gotta know where this ranked um, on the box office for that year. I'm gonna look that up. Also, people had never seen a vagina before. <laughs> it's shocking. I'm still unsure if that was like supposed to happen. I feel like there's controversy behind the scenes about like 
whether or not Sharon Stone knew that people were going to see stuff. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It seemed, yeah, you're, you hear multiple stories on it. This was the, the fourth highest grossing movie of 1992. Huge. What are the, the top three? Uh, the top three. Aladdin is number one. Number two is The Bodyguard. Oh, we got to talk about that someday. Yeah. Uh, then Home Alone 2. I'm just going to go through the rest. Basic Instinct, Lethal Weapon 3, Batman Returns, A Few Good Men, Sister Act, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and Wayne's World. God. A lot of variety. I like it. The top ten rules. Yeah. The top ten's great. great. It's got pretty much a little, uh, it's got something for everyone. Yeah. This is definitely the most adult. Oh, yeah. I guess there was just like a string of like sexy adult thrillers. That probably started with Fatal Attraction, right? Yeah, I feel like that is kind of the movie that put uh, the erotic thriller on the map. <laughs> and that launched Michael Douglas as like the creepy guy who does bad stuff, but you're still rooting for him for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like he kind of inherited the, the star gene from Kirk Douglas's dad, but it's yeah. like... It's a little it's a little bit twisted. <laughs> it's like I'm cheating or I'm having an affair or I'm a drug addict or I killed people, but like you're rooting for him still. Cuz yeah. his his guy his cop character in this uh, movie is, is not a, the best guy. Mm-hmm. He's done some bad shit. Yeah. Well, since we're on the subject Yeah, we could talk about Michael Douglas a bit. Because um, I think what's what's also interesting to me about him is that he kind of took a while to become a star, and yeah, even when he did, he was kind of an odd, an odd entity at, at the uh, at the movies. Because um, yeah, he he's he started out as as TV actor, you know, starred it in the streets of San Francisco in the seventies. Also was a producer most famously produced one flew over the cuckoo's nest which i think his dad had the rights to star in but then he got too old so he gave them to michael to uh to like produce the movie um do i know you wanted to talk a little bit about his producer only credits which i was just looking at and are are weird um, I mean, he produced some of the movies he was in, like *Romancing the Stone*, uh, which was kind of like his big star turn, I guess. Um, so, what else, what else we got here? *Starman*. *Starman*. That's pretty weird. The weirdest thing to me are the, his '90s producing credits, because he started producing like action movies. Like, he produced yeah. Stone Cold, the Brian Bosworth movie. Oh, yeah. And then Double Impact, which is a movie with double Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> um, Face Off. Face Off. Face Off. I guess that's, you know, uh, is is Double Impact... That's not also John Woo, is it? No. Even though John Woo did make... A movie with Jean-Claude. It's all connected. Um, but, like, I don't know how that happened. How he went from, you know, producing, like, <laughs> movies that are winning Oscars to, like, Stone Cold. Maybe he just had a really great script. 
But yeah, it's just kind of funny how he was doing those. And then also how like he kind of had to like force himself into these movies to transition from TV to film, which was a lot harder to do back then. Like if you're kind of following through his career chronologically, um, it seems like he got to China syndrome. He got himself like third billing in that one. Like he's he's working his way up. It's pretty good. But it doesn't seem like it's till romancing the stone that he's like, okay, now I'm a star in movies. Yeah. And then it's it's interesting because he plays like a conventional leading man in Romancing the Stone. Uh, you know, on par with a, a Harrison Ford or a Kevin Costner or something. But then a few years later, he has the double whammy in 1987 of, of Fatal Attraction and Wall Street the same year. Wow. And it, it just kind of establishes this. As America's creep. America's sleazebag. He cements himself <laughs> yeah. in that year. And that's pretty much kind of the the roles he takes for like over a decade. Yeah. And, like it's uh, just creepos. And this, yeah, it, feel, it feels like kind of this is the culmination of that. Like him becoming a big enough star to lead like a a huge what would become a blockbuster movie um it's interesting to me that he kind of because this was like him finally being in a position of being a big star he was a little bit hesitant um about casting sharon stone as the the co-lead uh just because she wasn't super famous at the time and he thought he was like really going out on a limb uh you know with this movie that has so much like sex and nudity in it and thought he he would like it would all be on him if the movie was a flop and he'd look stupid (laughs) for for showing his ass in this movie that wasn't that successful uh but apparently he he warmed up to her and they're they're still friends i guess to this day um I guess I'll talk a little bit about Sharon Stone, too, because, uh, yeah, this is like a star-making performance for her. Uh, hadn't really been in anything this big, at least in a starring role. Um, she got her start modeling, I guess. She was in a, a Miss Pennsylvania beauty pageant, and then like someone who ran the pageant told her to move to New York and become a fashion model, and she did and uh yeah just like a string of movies that didn't quite hit she was like the co-star in um two alan quatermain movies <laughs> I'm looking this up right Richard now. Chamberlain. yeah king solomon mine king solomon's minds and alan quatermain and the lost city of oh gold God. she got a I razzie never... nomination before i feel like she was even a star yeah. Fucking Razzies, man. How bad could this Alan Quatermain in The Lost City of Gold really be? <laughs> it sounds cool. I've literally always read that name as Alan Quatermain until it, right it now. It just it feels wrong to say Alan Quatermain. <laughs> yeah, there's no R before the T. It, it, I've it said Quatermain like for years. Quartermain. Is that who is that the character that Sean Connery's playing, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like yeah, it's just one of those characters that never quite takes <laughs> whenever they try to adapt him to movies. 
but then, uh, of course, kind of a, a key role was uh, she appeared in Total Recall. She kind of really only has one big scene yeah. in it. But uh, Paul Verhoeven, Verhoeven. Yeah. yeah, Paul Verhoeven worked with her and he liked the fact that she could like kind of turn on a dime like her emotions in that scene where where she's like manipulating him um so yeah i mean he was kind of the reason she got cast in this even though it was turned down by lots of uh, much bigger stars at the time michelle pfeiffer kim basinger meg ryan Gina oh, uh, wow. according to stone's memoir she was the 13th choice Wow. For the part, I don't know if that's literal or, or whatever. She's well, that's the facing. That's interesting because if Michelle Pfeiffer turned it down, that gives some interesting backstory to her being the villain in the Catwoman movie. Oh. she's got to take revenge. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, that's how they got involved with this movie. The script was written by Joe Esterhaus, who. Uh, a pretty successful screenwriter wrote like Flashdance and what? <laughs> Fist that movie Sylvester Stallone did. F- what does oh, Fist F- stand for? I gotta know because it's F- yeah. I'd love to know. <laughs> okay, it's it's Federation of Interstate Truckers. <laughs> it's like a union. It's like a like I've got to form a union movie, right? But like on the poster, Sylvester Stallone's like carrying a bat. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those kind of unions. Hell yeah. This looks good. <laughs> Fist. <laughs> well, I've seen Flashdance. It's kind of an kind of a fun movie. Um yeah. definitely seems like his latter uh, part of his career is a lot of sleazier movies. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is during that period too where you could like write a script and they were like, Okay, I want I'm gonna give you twenty million dollars just for this <laughs> script. He was one of those guys who I feel like, oh shit, this sounds amazing. Definitely. Yeah. It even says, oh my god. So I'm looking at his um his fil- his filmography here on Wikipedia. It says like his list of movies, and then next <laughs> to each movie, how much money he got for the script. Yeah. <laughs> Three million for Basic Instinct. Two million for Showgirls. Two point five million for a four page outline for a movie called One Night Stand. <laughs> A movie I've never even heard of with Wesley Snipes. Uh, they got terrible reviews. <laughs> Can you imagine getting two point five billion dollars for four pages? God, sounds it's, wonderful. It's that good. <laughs> hey man, he wrote Showgirls. Give him some respect. <laughs> this must have yeah. been sold before that came out, right? That couldn't have helped anyone's career. I wonder what's the. The most anyone's ever got <laughs> on the least amount of work for a, for a story for a movie. This has got to be up there. But this script is pretty good. Basic Instinct. I think so. Um, yeah, he supposedly got the inspiration for the movie when he was working as a police reporter in Cleveland. I guess he was like a journalist before he got into screenwriting. Um... And I guess he based the Douglas character on a cop that he knew who seemed 
I mean, to, to quote him, who just liked action too much. <laughs> uh, you can kind of imagine what that means. but um, And then he also got the inspiration for Catherine Trammell, the Sharon Stone character from a go-go dancer in Dayton, Ohio, who, like, went back to her hotel room with him and held him up at gunpoint jesus so yeah uh he wrote the script uh paul verhoven liked it i think he liked the idea of like a thriller where the audience like sees the potential of someone getting killed on screen but it's during a sex scene (laughs) Which, you know, the movie plays out multiple times where you see people having sex and you think they're on the verge of, uh, like, a murder happening on screen. But it doesn't quite happen. Spoiler. But it does happen once. Um, yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. It does happen. I, I gotta take a moment here to talk about some some script deals here. Um, so basic instinct according to this i don't know how reputable this site i'm on is it says basic instinct is the fifth uh most amount of money that anyone's ever paid for a script which is three million i feel like damn maybe i don't know i guess that is quite a bit but um (laughs) number one is deja vu that denzel washington movie (laughs) five million dollars just for the script who wrote it um, I don't know. Well, that's um, that's a Tony Scott movie, at least, right? Yeah. Um, but that uh, who wrote Deja Vu? Sean, have which, you seen Deja Vu? It seems like something you might have seen. Uh, it feels familiar. Um, well, I could tell you it was co- I don't know uh, one of these names, but I definitely know the other name because the other name is Terry Rossio, who wrote you know Aladdin, Shrek, and the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So definitely an established guy. Um, Shane Black also in the top five. The Long Kiss Goodnight sold for four million dollars, and this is in 1996. So I, I assume with inflation, um, yeah. Uh, so these are some big numbers. Number two is Talladega Nights, which makes no sense. I'm gonna have to read more into that. That seems wrong. <laughs> Number three also feels wrong. It's Euro Trip, four million dollars. Um, oh god bright is number six fuck this (laughs) i do remember that being like um a big deal though it's like oh it's such a good idea it's like lord of the rings but they're cops (laughs) (laughs) it's like there's like fairies and shit but will smith's like oh hell no Uh, yeah, dude. Um, sorry, sorry to get us off track. I just think it's interesting that Basic Instinct was like this hot thing. Yeah, no, I I think it's interesting too. Just that that era of the blockbuster screenplay deal, which is you know kind of tied to the conversation we were having before the podcast, where it just felt like the '90s was this decade where no one was really sure what worked and what didn't. <laughs> And so, like, if a movie seemed like it had a really just, like, out there premise and, like, 
would would get audiences in the theaters like studios would pay millions for it but it's like you know no one no one takes those chances anymore they just hire people to write scripts based on uh existing properties like roadrunner yeah like roadrunner <laughs> i mean it's a great idea right why like coyote take it on Honestly, and finally it's not bad we've all wanted it for so long yeah at least that's an idea at least that's more of an idea than like i don't know hot wheels i guess Still waiting to see if that movie ever comes out. <laughs> I forgot they were making that. I thought I heard some like news like that Hot Wheels like back on people's minds. <laughs> Give another yeah. crack at Hot Wheels. You never know. I mean, I feel like people kind of cooled off on the uh, the making toys into movies trend that uh, was birthed by Transformers, but. You know, we'll see how that Barbie. I mean, there wasn't does. really any success with it, with it outside of Transformers, right? Mm, I can't think of any. What about the Lego Ninjago movie? <laughs> all right. I actually don't think that one did that well out of all the yeah, ones you could have picked. Mean, yeah, the Lego movie, <laughs> good example. Sean went the well, other way. <laughs> the other Lego movies are kind of also sold on other franchises though i think lego ninjaga is the only one that's purely a toy (laughs) all right it's like if they made a bionicle movie yeah that'd be so good (laughs) which one was your favorite bionicle john uh blue (laughs) it's a good one i liked red (laughs) oh red was great red's my second choice (laughs) Even, like I'm remember sure. what a bu- bionicle looks like. How do you have a favorite? <laughs> they look cool. They're they're kind of like more adult. I, were they were they t- uh, connects or were they just their own? Th- I don't think they were connects. They were they were a Lego product, but they had the the vibe of connects. Okay, I'm looking up Lego bionicle. Sorry, Colin. Sorry. They had um, elemental powers, Colin. They were like robots. Like, how could I not like this? Oh, Lego okay. Bionicle names. I feel like they kind of had like um, tribal names. Um, I don't know. Greenhead Wings. Zaktan, Hakan, Avok, Redak, Thok, and Vezok. Uh, I don't know what color goes to what name, but that's what they were called. The red one is pretty great. I might change my mind. And they came in tubes. Yeah, they did come in tubes. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, it was cool back when they used to make movies about adult things, <laughs> like sexy adult thrillers like this. Yeah. Um, a lot of mystery. Yeah. I guess, is this neo-noir, or is this just noir? Like, what do you categorize, or is this just sex thriller? Is this his own thing? I'm, I'm trying to think of how you categorize this, kind of, this movie. I mean, I think it's kind of both. I mean, it's definitely... It's an erotic thriller, but it's also very clearly a, a noir homage, I think. Um, lots of moody lighting. Lots of Venetian blinds. Uh, definitely has a femme fatale at the center of it. Uh, and and a male protagonist of questionable morals. Um yeah, I think it definitely fits into the, the neo-noir uh, category. Okay, good. 
Yeah, real real slick mystery. I love the idea of him trying to piece together this mystery by reading her books. Yeah. That's it's always good. <laughs> um the murder of so it's it was a rock star, right? That yeah, that instigates the plot but of they, the movie. Basically. So here's the thing. They said this rock star had like ties to political figures. Mm. Like he was a uh, just like friends, not like I don't. Know, I was trying to like pimp, like figure out who is the who is the equivalent of this character in real life, and I could not figure out what rock star would also have friends that are like politicians. Kid Rock. Kid Rock. <laughs> this is like Kid Rock got murdered. <laughs> yes. Because I feel like the Chelsea Ross character is like he had some important friends. Which is weird. It's like, what? The rock star, really? I, I never really got a good vibe of who this rock star guy was, but it is it is a very '90s thing for it to the movie to be about a rock star being killed. Definitely. So that's pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of edgier things too, like um, the Sharon Stone character, I guess, being bisexual. Yeah. Um, which is just not a thing in movies back then. No, I not really. I mean, one. One thing about kind of the movie's uh, development is before it was even made, a copy of the script got out and there was like a, a controversy uh, where like the LGBT community was uh, not happy about this movie getting made and were kind of like protesting it when it was filming uh, in San Francisco. Um to the point where Joe Esterhouse, I guess, met with LGBT uh, advocates, mm-hmm. and they kind of made made demands of what to change in the script. And Paul Verhoeven did not have any interest in changing anything. Um, and I I understand why that is. I mean, I feel like watching it now, at making her buy, and also a serial killer. It doesn't feel offensive, really. Um, but looking at it from the perspective of the 80s and 90s, like it does seem like there were a lot of movies with uh, gay serial killers or uh, gay people getting killed on screen and not really getting much other representation. Like this was the year after Silence of the Lambs. There was also, right. you know, cruising was also controversial. For, That's why I'm afraid to reason. talk about, cru- like, if I ever pick cruising. Yeah. It seems like a sticky subject. It's like, <laughs> it's a tricky movie to talk about. And so b- putting this movie in the context of, of that, I can totally see why people uh, would be a little bit mad and fed up with this sort of representation. Um but uh, you know, we got Philadelphia a year later, uh, which I guess was in, in a lot of ways kind of Jonathan yeah. Demi kind of trying to write that that wrong. Um, By killing another gay guy. Well, yeah, <laughs> He's, it does does happen eventually. When you put it like that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. So we can get into the plot of the movie a little bit. Uh, I'm sure I will forget some details, but uh, that's all right. 
Sean, Sean's better with plot details than he's seen this movie more recently. Uh, but yeah, it opens <laughs> that up. much more recently. Yeah. It's not with the days of each other. It's only, it's only like I'm watching every day. <laughs> yeah, all right. Then I don't know, man. <laughs> but yeah, the movie starts with uh, that rock star guy getting killed. Um, you know. <laughs> you, you pretty much get the 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 idea of what kind of movie this is when the first scene is just people having sex. Okay, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt, Colin. I did not yeah. uh, catch this. The name of the rock star is Johnny Boz. B-O-Z. Oh, boy. What the hell kind of name is Johnny Boz? Johnny I was like Boz. trying to remember. I was like, does he have like a stupid rock star name like Lazarus Kane or something? <laughs> and I was cl- like, Johnny Boz is like Boz. that kind of... Johnny, that is that's a that's like I guess a cool name. It's like Boz Skaggs. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's like Boz Skaggs getting killed. <laughs> All right, so uh, Boz Skaggs is murdered. He's <laughs> murdered very violently with a ice pick. Um, yeah, like it's I definitely got Total Recall vibes from that from that kill where it's just like there you can see for a second that it's like a prosthetic head that she's stabbing into oh, yeah <laughs> it's super violent i wonder if this is a rob botin uh makeup movie i feel like that was a pretty good stab and he did work with verhoeven a couple times hmm. um i don't think there's anything else like spe- like you know makeup wise that was out, you know cool in that way but yeah i I always like to give credit where credit's due assuming it was rob botine um looking it up makeup department yeah rob botine there there you go good job with the eye stab Mm -hmm. so yeah i feel like pretty immediately uh Catherine Trammell is kind of the suspect because she was dating Johnny Boz. And so then Michael Douglas and his partner, played by George Zunza. Yeah. They go to see her at her home. They kind of question her. I think that's when he also like kind of sneaks a peek at her, putting her dress on. Or maybe that's later. That's, I think that's later when he follows her to her girlfriend's apartment. Okay. I think I feel like the first encounter is, is very brief because it's she's just like, "Are you gonna arrest me?" And they're like, "No, I guess not." And then I just kind of leave. <laughs> yeah, that's not that remarkable. Uh, cause yeah, that's the only scene I, I mean, yeah, they, they run into, uh, Roxy, who's, we find out, eventually, I don't know if we find out then that she's dating Catherine. Um, right. But I think also early on in the movie, they're setting up, um, you know, that Nick is, uh, like recently reinstated cause he had these, uh, drug and. Uh, alcohol abuse problems and it sounds like he, he kind of snuck his way back onto the force because he's been sleeping with um, Gene Triplehorn who's like the uh, psychiatrist for the police or something um, yeah. so there's a lot of like setting up his 
I, I, I remember there's like another cop that he's like punches out or something for some reason because <laughs> he's like trashing him. Was that the um, cop played by uh, Kruger from Seinfeld? Oh yeah, yeah, Dana yeah, von Bargen. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a little bit later. I think then they bring in Catherine for uh, questioning. Yeah, they, they find out about her books. The famous interrogation scene. Yeah. I ever talked about the legs, but you know, there's only one thing I'm thinking about. Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. Yeah. <laughs> <Wait, night. laughs> it's funny how I was reading an interview with Wayne Knight where he was like, I'm in like two scenes, but I'm in the trailer, so everybody thinks like I'm a big part of the movie. Yeah. And he was talking about how like that's how he got cast in Jurassic Park. Because uh, wow. it's like, okay, if he was, instead of him looking at Sharon Stone, what if he was looking that same way at a dinosaur? <laughs> that's like kind of the, the idea that like Spielberg got in his head it's like what if that guy was looking at a dinosaur I also like the implication that Seinfeld was just casting all its guys out of that interrogation scene Seinfeld among the uh, the, the list of uh, media that has apparently referenced Basic Instinct a couple times that sounds right they said in the episode The Package Newman grills Jerry about mail fraud, and he spoofs his own role in Basic Instinct. Not, <laughs> don't remember this. But then also, apparently, there's uh, a leg crossing spoof in an episode the ju- called "The Junk Mail." Um, that's all the detail I have at this moment. I remember the first scene you referenced because uh, there's like a joke where he's, he's like feeling pretty hot under these lights, Seinfeld, and Jerry's like, "No, I'm actually quite comfortable." But like Wade Knight's a sweaty mess. <laughs> I just love the idea of like Wayne Knight being in something that references something else he's in. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty good. Could have used some more Wayne Knight. He's great. Uh, and his one scene, a lot of great character actors just popping up. Stephen Tobolowski. Stephen Tobolowski oh, yeah. with a great beard. Yeah, we had I, in I, serious I'm that mode. Sarcastically. Because uh, in the other San Francisco-based 1992 was... movie we covered recently, he was playing much more comedic. I was yeah. going to say, do you think he was just like doing those at the same time? They're in the same city. Just, just had an extended stay in San Francisco. I feel like I was looking him up recently, and he did like like six movies in 1992. The dude was just, just banging them out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is funny, though, to... Uh, Holy shit! Movies. Yes, you're right, John. 1992. I mean, I guess they may, they maybe weren't all filmed that year, but released in 1992, he had Wedlock, Basic Instinct, Where the Day Takes You, Hero, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Single White Female, Roadside Prophets, and Sneakers. Shit. It's eight eight movies in one year. Now the question is, how many of those were in San Francisco? <laughs> I could believe Memoirs was in San Francisco, though I don't remember. Because uh, it's bad. Uh, but, dude. I mean, he had a pretty busy 93 as well. Like, he's just... <laughs> he had a busy decade. 
I feel like here he just like pops out a bunch of lines that like, oh, this could be in the trailer. I don't know. I don't know if any of them actually are, but they're definitely those kind of like big lines. Because uh, he what, what is he like a criminal psychologist or something? I, I don't remember yeah. his exact character. He's like whoever this person is is the most dangerous person. In yeah, the world. yeah, it's like stuff that's like, oh, that's not good in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. like um, James Rephorn also shows up at some point in this. A lot it's of great character actors. Yeah. I think we've named most of them. Also, I really like George Zunda, um, who was like a, kind of a big role for a guy I don't really know very well. Yeah. Um, I, I see he's also in a movie called Instinct, that Anthony Hopkins movie. So I just think that's a funny coincidence. But my favorite part of this is how he like hangs out at a cowboy bar where he dresses like a cowboy. Yeah. That was great because I was just like, I didn't know this guy was a cowboy the entire time. <laughs> what, why is he? This is, just, this this is his us? life. It's yeah. just nice when like they give like some schlubby guy like he gets to be the partner and he's like in it most of the time. Like, <laughs> I think what was extra confusing is that this movie also had Jack McGee in it. Um, Who's like the the chief of the fire department in Rescue Me? Who looks like the same guy? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm looking it up now. Jack McGee, just like sh- like short and heavy set and like red faced. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a type. Yeah, love those kind of guys. No, he's great. George Zenda's great. Everybody has their moment. Um, Michael Douglas is creepy, though, especially when he goes yes. to that club. <laughs> Too old. I love, I love that scene. It's, <laughs> it's like weirdly relatable in a way. It's like, is this what I look when I'm around a bunch of 20-year-olds? <laughs> if I was just to walk into a club right now, like I, I know like they Michael said Douglas? that he'd like, he'd like, done drugs and like obviously he was seeing the police uh therapist for like shooting people but it wasn't until that club scene where i'm like okay i don't trust this This guy's a creep <laughs> what is this guy doing walk that was the scene the, where i was like okay fuck this guy walk around the club in his v-neck sweater did those clubs i mean maybe those did exist or maybe those still exist those kind of ones that are like industrial warehouses that blast the house music like that i wonder if that's a thing it's cool yeah. I feel like especially in the 90s, though, that was a thing. Like, Definitely. There's people on poles really high up. <laughs> Everybody's doing cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Do you think... I guess we've been talking around it. Is Michael yeah. Douglas too old for this role? I think him being old um, adds to, like, the sleaziness, like, of the character. Like, Yeah, I kind of like it. Like this guy is is should is should know better than to be getting into this shit. <laughs> yeah, and you also believe that he just like has a, like a lot of shady shit in his past. <laughs> um, like he's lived a life of questionable decisions, and he ain't turning back. <laughs> What what age is that where you're <laughs> where you just have to give up on becoming a better person and be like, yep, this is me. I'm a piece of shit. I assume like forties. So which 
<laughs> looks like he was 44 when he made this movie. So that seems about right. Maybe he's a few years too old, but I don't really mind. I can't really think of anyone else from the time period who I would rather see in this kind of role. I guess it's you guys have just been talking so much about like how he's so creepy and he's such a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, you know? he's so out of place, and it's like, is that was that all intentional? <laughs> was he that was meant his to type. be this despicable? Well, I was t- like I was saying earlier, the thing about Michael Douglas is he had the skill to play someone who's despicable, but you're still kind of on his side for some reason. I don't, I can't quite pinpoint why that is. But. I think he just has kind of a, a movie star thing. It's just, it's just not all charm. <laughs> some of it's charisma, some of it's, uh, I don't know, dark intrigue. But uh, he's, he's definitely fun to watch. And like, I don't know, I definitely get the idea that he's supposed to be a piece of shit. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's sneaking a peek at Sharon Stone uh, changing... And then he's like having sex with Gene Triplehorn, and it like kind of turns into rape. Like he's he's not a great dude. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean the the whole conceit of the movie is he's choosing to become romantically entangled with the main suspect in a murder he's investigating. <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't get much more unethical than that. He's only making bad decisions. Do you guys relate to um, the lustiness of of this character, though? Because, um, I mean, personally, for me, I I don't understand this self destructive uh, personality at all. Yeah, not I. I... I don't think it's really relatable. I don't even know if it's supposed to be relatable, but I know it's certainly tapping into probably some sort of weird male fantasy about just becoming involved with uh, a woman who's just like completely dangerous, but like the sex is amazing. Like, that like taps into something that I'm sure men. <laughs> fantasize about um it kind of you know kind of feels like the kind of backbone of what this type of of movie is is all about it's just like and and that michael douglas sort of became the avatar for was just like (laughs) what if i just you know did bad stuff and and had a bunch of sex had in fact the best fuck of the century yeah <laughs> a lot of great lines and I, now i see why this uh people spent so much money to buy this thing <laughs> lines like that yeah that's worth three million dollars i just appreciated that he doubled down on that um because he's like, I would call that the best fuck of the century. And then a later scene, he's like, yeah, I was telling her. I think that was the best fuck of the century. 
That's just like an old guy thing. That's like a Polly Walnuts <laughs> thing. Definitely. Where he's just like, I think I'm being cool, but um, he's not. I'm really proud of this dumb thing I said. <laughs> he's just being weird. I just like that there's that one scene um, after um, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone finally get together have have the fuck of the century and then michael douglas goes to the bathroom and then roxy's there and she's like mad and she's like stay away from her and he just like has a whole conversation with her but he's just like buck naked the entire time oh yeah dude you don't see that enough in movies never back down yeah (laughs) that's what you gotta do if you're caught naked you can't just run away (laughs) he's gotta gotta be proud yeah yeah I don't know. I feel like we've talked through most of the <laughs> memorable scenes in this movie. Uh, no, we haven't because this movie has a ones? crazy driving chase scene in it that I've never heard anyone talk about ever. Yeah, I do. Are you talking about the highway chase scene? Mm-hmm. Or is there another and the, there's one? another one in the, in in the, the streets of San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, there's a few good, good chase scenes in this movie. They, they, they just go to waste because they're in an R-rated uh, sexy movie, so no one will ever know about it because they'll never be on TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I feel like the, this movie definitely just... It, it tries to entertain you in, in many different ways, <laughs> both in terms of being sexy being kind of an action thriller in terms of being very stylish um i guess like my one quibble with the movie is i think it's it's very well directed i don't know if the script quite lives up to uh what verhoven is doing just because the mystery is not that surprising in the end I think it's a movie that kind of like almost tells you who the killer is at the beginning and then just occasionally throws you a few other possible suspects, but none of them are ever that convincing. And by the end of it, when you find out who the killer is, is you're just kind of like, all right, yeah, makes sense. (laughs) Not super surprising, but it works. I mean, there's the um, the the score uh, I wanted to bring up because I found the score. It's a Jerry Goldsmith score. Mm-hmm. Um, to be really exhausting and just always emotionally out of touch with what I thought the scene was trying to do um, and distracting. Uh, it made I think. The exciting scenes less exciting, the sexy scenes less sexy, um, and just—I I would just call it a, a complete failure as a score. Wow. Uh, just totally overdone and and distracting and bad. Not a fan at all. Oscar-nominated score, I believe. Mm-hmm. Trey Goldsmith, um, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, it's a little big. Yeah, but, but this uh, movie's big. This movie's big. <laughs> Yeah, look for me. Yeah. Bigger is better. <laughs> Just like seeing Wayne Knight's big fat face that close on camera. Bigger is better. 
Is there anything else you want to talk about? As far as the movie, the sequel, Colin. How, how you saw the sequel? Oh God, I forgot because <laughs> the movie is incredibly forgettable. So yeah, after I watched Basic Instinct, I watched Basic Instinct Two, a movie that took a long time to come to fruition. It came out in two thousand six. Damn, I'm not. I didn't really look into what the story was there. Why it took so long. Obviously, Verhoeven wasn't involved. Neither was Joe Esterhaus. Yeah, I think... Maybe Sharon Stone had some health issues around um, the turn of the 21st century that kind of derailed her career a bit. Um, Which is a shame. She's really good in this movie. Um, She's good in Casino, too. Like, I wish she had... (laughs) gotten to be kind of a, a bigger star or at least have a, a kind of longer career than she has she did or at least as a leading leading lady i mean i feel like she hit at a time where like a bomb could really destroy not not just like a bomb could destroy a career actually like multiple razzie nominations i feel it like could destroy a career like did I feel she? like the Razzies had some power back then, and it's like, oh, this is Razzie winner. The... I this might have even got some nominations, right? Like I don't know that for sure, but I feel like the Razzies love the Razzies are afra- are terrified of sex, so I could imagine them not liking this movie. It got the this movie got uh, nominated for worst actor, worst supporting actress. <sighs> Gene Triplehorn and worst new star in Sharon Stone. That is insane. Okay. Also, how do you give her a worst new star nomination if you also gave her a Razzie nomination for Alan Quaterman back in the eighties? <laughs> I don't know. Razzie's fucking bunch of dorks. Fuck. Fuck that shit. Fuck dorks. Afraid of sex. <laughs> I'm glad they really embarrassed themselves this year with that Bruce Willis nomination. That they had. Then they had to be like, oh, whoops, no, never mind. Yeah. Fucking nerds. Fucking nerds. Anyways, Basic Instinct 2. Uh, Catherine Trammell moves to London. Apparently the least sexy place on Earth. Because <laughs> this movie's like... It's felt a lot more tame than the original Basic Instinct. I mean, there's... There's some sex and nudity and, you know, she's she tries to be seductive and whatnot. But it's just like, I don't know. I feel like there's something very American about that first basic instinct. And it's <laughs> depictions of sex on screen. And uh, this movie's just, like, very dry and pretty boring. Eh... <sighs> I don't know. I feel like you would have to make a sequel even more over the top if you're doing a sequel to Basic Instinct, but they did not really try to do that. Uh, yeah, not great. Tagline to Basic Instinct 2. Everything interesting begins in the mind. <laughs> right. does, that, does that sum up your experience, Colin? Um, that makes it sound like it's like Brain Scan or, or something like some sort of sci-fi movie about the mind. Yeah, I have a question. Mm-hmm. If that's okay. Yeah. The ending of 
basic instinct shows that um, Catherine Trammell has an ice pick hidden under the bed, indicating that she either was the killer all the, all along or was at least considering becoming a killer. Mm-hmm. Does the sequel pick up that thread or it's, I mean, it sounds like it's just like it's years later and don't worry about it. Yeah. That's basically it. Like they don't do a ton of explaining. I mean, I think the assumption is that she is just a serial killer. Does the ice uh, pick show up again? You know, I don't even remember. That'd be cool if she like pulled it out and then the audience <laughs> gave it like a standing ovation from the return of the ice pick. Yeah, I don't feel like the ice pick does show up. I feel like there's I not even a scene where like they, they I could at least have like a throwaway like when she's with an ice bucket, you know. Like, yeah, I think that like, does happen. Yeah, but just not like paying she's... too much attention to it, like very subtly. Mm-hmm. I see that Hugh Dancy is in this. Do you think they could make a sequel where Catherine Trammell tries to seduce Hannibal Lecter and it's like a showdown? Um, I mean, anything's possible. That's, that's the magic of movies. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, uh, Hannibal. Basic Instinct crossover. Is this Anthony Hopkins or is this uh, Mads Mikkelsen? I was thinking Mads Mikkelsen because of the, the Hugh Dancy connection. Oh, right, 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 right. I just feel like it, it'd be cool, though, if it was Anthony Hopkins. It's like <laughs> two of the biggest movies of the early 90s. He wasn't in the instinct. We're going to watch this sexy movie with a 60-year-old woman <laughs> and an 80-year-old man playing mind games with each other. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how sexy it would be. Maybe it'd just be more about murder. Yeah, or it's just like it, it's sexy. I mean, everything sex. It begins in the mind, so it, it just has to be like yeah. intellectually sexy. <laughs> everything interesting yeah. begins in the mind. <laughs> Maybe there's like a VR sex scene, right? Where it's like they're younger. They show yeah. CG to look younger. Yeah. Like yeah. VR. Do you remember? The Johnny Quest Adventures, the revival of Johnny Quest. Oh, I think about it often. Yes. Uh, well, you remember how the bad guy in that was like in a wheelchair? He's like horribly paralyzed in real life. But he's oh, like yes. A, yes, yes, yes. He's like Megatron in the virtual reality world. Uh, yeah, I wish I could remember his name. But yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. So they could do something like that where everyone's in wheelchairs, but they're kicking ass in the virtual reality world. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you no, ever watched not... Quest Adventures, Colin? Uh, a little bit. Jeremiah Surd is, yeah. is the character. I, va- I vaguely know what you're talking about. That's Remember cool. how uh, Johnny Quest, uh, or not Johnny Quest, but Dr. Quest uh, has a bodyguard whose first name is Race? Yeah. Race Banyan. Is that a... Were people ever really named Race? <laughs> I don't know. But you could imagine a time when it happened. Yeah, is that short for something? 
seems like a. I think. Oh, it's a nickname. His name is Roger T. Bannon. So maybe he's like race, as in like you know, you drove like fast cars. Also, very specifically on the Johnny Quest wiki, it says he's born in 1936 in Wilmette. Yeah. Uh, Freud strikes. I just like that it actually has like his birth city and uh, date. That must, maybe that was for... When did the original... No, I guess this must have been for the original show. He's 32. God, shit. I'm the God. same age as, as Ray's Bannon was, the original Johnny Quest. He had white hair. Fuck. Yeah, but you could tell he had just gone gray early. Yeah, yeah, but still. I don't... I, I Guys, I really don't like that I'm the same age as Ray's Bannon. I feel like he's accomplished so much more than I have. At least you're not as old yeah. as Michael Douglas in this movie. Not yet. Yeah, but he's accomplished a lot too. Like we said, he had he's killed he had a bunch of addictions, killed innocent people. Yep, lived a life. I got time. Mm-hmm. Get your kills in. Um. Do you got any goofs for us, Sean? Yeah, I'm really happy to report that something that really bothered me was also on the list of the IMDb goofs uh, mm-hmm. for Basic Instinct, uh, which is, it says specifically, at the one hour, 14 minute mark, uh, after Catherine scratches Nick, drawing lines of blood on his back, she flips him over and is on top of him, theoretically smearing that blood <laughs> all over the pristine white sheets. Uh, but no blood is ever seen visible on the bedding. And that really bothered me, too. I was like, what are you doing? You're going to ruin those sheets. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's a movie. So they, can, they don't have that problem. <laughs> Mark that as interesting. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. 28 out of 30 people found it interesting. Okay. Two people are dicks. <laughs> Probably work for the Razzies. They dislike everything. They don't find anything interesting. But what I find interesting is John's Rogues Gallery. God, I love being a bad guy. Guys, we got Catherine Trammell. She is an evil doer. Full name, Catherine Trammell. Alias, Catherine Wolf. I don't when did she use that? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, she has one. Origin basic instinct. Occupation. Serial killer. Psychologist. Writer. Okay. Power slash skills. High intelligence, manipulation, charisma, murder skills, and novelist skills. I mean, if you're going to write murder novels, you got to have both. If you're going to be successful at it anyways. Hobby, killing people, and spending time with Nick Curran. Goals, have fun and commit again and again the perfect crime. (laughs) 
I like that it starts with have fun. <laughs> I love that. I don't know that it's any villain's goal but to have fun. <laughs> It doesn't like just say. It doesn't just say commit again and again. The perfect crime it says have fun and <laughs> just have fun. Just go have out fun. there and have fun. Crimes: serial homicide, torture, incrimination, and parricide. Paris is that parents? Parent side killing parents. P a r a. P a r r. I C I D parasite, part parasite. There's a there's a one there's one to look up. There's a new one. P A R R I, P A R R I para or parasite. That's the intentional killing of one's father and or mother. Okay. Uh, they say sometimes it's used more broadly uh, to refer to the intentional killing of any near relative. Uh, but yes, it's a blanket term for both matricide and patricide. Okay. And type of villain, uh, you guys. If you want to guess, this one is three words. Okay. If anyone wants to um, guess, um, I uh, I can. Okay, I'll go with deviant serial killer. Uh, I think serial killer's right. Seductive serial killer. <laughs> no, no, I'll take it back. Uh, I'm gonna. I think it's femme fatale. I'm gonna say it's mm-hmm. it's murderous femme fatale. <laughs> Sean, you're very close. Psychopathic femme fatale. <sighs> it's impossible, except for the one time. Sean got it. I feel like calm is very close recently too. Just one yeah. word off. Um, psychopathic fem- I mean accurate but it's just yeah mm. it's, it's hard finding that exact mixture of words <laughs> uh, there you go mm. Catherine Trammell mm. uh, who's next it's Sean, Sean isn't it yes what's our next pick um I wanted to have something that was connected to the movies we've been talking about, um, but I know we're getting close to um, the end of this season, and there's a movie that I wanted us to get to last season that it just didn't work out. We just ran out of time, uh, and that that whole season kind of ended abruptly. Um, so I want to uh, get us get this in there now. Also, it seems to be tradition for me to pick a Wachowski siblings movie every season so right. while there's still a few out there i'm gonna do it um so it's time for us to finally watch jupiter ascending okay. also it's a kind of kind of timely because eddie redmayne's the villain in this and uh you know he has uh the fucking troubles of dumbledore out in theaters right now he's got so many troubles <laughs> I think this is the only Wachowskis I haven't seen. I think. So that's oh, exciting. I've seen Bound. I have seen Bound, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, About to 100% I this. Though I haven't seen I think, that show. I think they also consider um, 
V for Vendetta and Ninja Assassin as part of their canon. I haven't seen I Ninja. Seen I, have, I have seen V for Vendetta. I have not seen Ninja Assassin. Who's that, who's that starring Rain or whatever? Yeah. Ninja Assassin. I remember I really hated the title Ninja Assassin because it seemed really redundant. It was like naming a movie Secret Agents. Or like Cowboy Outlaw or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, pretty excited to do Ninja Assassin someday. Yeah. I mean, it's got rain. It's got rain. Whoever that is, I only know him from... Oh, I guess he was in Speed Racer. So we've we've done we've done a rain film before. Cool. Yeah. All right. Jupiter ascending. Yeah, that'll be yeah. fun. That's that's gonna be a that'll weird be one. Something. Excited. Excited to watch that one. Is that on streaming right now? I believe it, it was. It was on something. I think it was on Amazon. Uh, we'll we'll figure it. Out. I don't even know if that's like a long movie or what. I don't even know. Yeah, uh, no, it's, not on it. It. it's not on anything for free. Uh, well, it's on Hoopla, Sean. Everyone's got Hoopla. <laughs> what the fuck is Hoopla? I don't know. Mm. Is that something where you like, have to have a library card? Or... <laughs> no, because they have That's one canopy. of those. Canopy. canopy. Well, maybe this is when you have to have two library cards. <laughs> oh, serious about books. All right. I've never gone to multiple libraries in the same city. I would assume if you have a library card with one, you can use it with others in the same city. But maybe that's not true. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I assume it's all part of the same library system. Uh, for more fascinating uh, questions and conversations like this... You can head on over to mildlypleased.com where you'll find all our past podcasts and other fun stuff. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, hopefully you'll uh, tune in next time and hit that play button. It could be the click of the century. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hit the subscribe button instead. That's a better button. <laughs>